Greetings and welcome to Unsupervised Learning. I'm Daniel Miesler, and this show provides content curation as a service with a focus on the intersection of security, technology, and humans. I spend between 5 and 20 hours a week consuming books, articles, and podcasts, and each episode is either a curated summary of what I've discovered in the past week or a standalone essay that hopefully gives you something to think about. All right, welcome to episode 191. Going to start off with security news. Protesters in Hong Kong are physically attacking and destroying facial recognition cameras. Got some video here of that happening, or at least it happened once. Not sure if it's happening a bunch, but uh, seemed pretty interesting. Palo Alto says seven out of 10 new domain registrations, NDRs, are either malicious or not safe for work, and they encourage companies to block them. Lieutenant General Fogarty is fighting to change the name of Army Cyber Command to Army Information Warfare Command and to give the group a much larger scope in its mission. We continue to see attacks upon open source supply chains in packages like NPM, RubyGems recently, and then most recently Webmin and many others. I think it's about to become imperative for people to understand. When I say people, I mean people and companies to understand and be able to validate the entire chain of trust that a given application sits upon before they use that software. It's actually really difficult. So I think uh, there have been a lot of companies that have tried to help do this, but I, I think um, more people are going to get into the space because uh, it, it's about to become critical rather than just like desired. Somebody posted their Ring security camera video of their Tesla being stolen in just a few seconds using a relay attack. So basically, you see this person come, they're like covered head to toe. It almost looks like chemical gear or something, but they raise up like this piece of wire and like, it looks like it's in a ring or something. And they kind of point it at the house. And of course, the, the owner is inside with probably with the key fob next to them. But this big ring <clears throat> picks up the key fob and then relays the key fob signal to the car, which is, you know, just a few feet away. And, uh, their partner just gets in the car and picks them up and drive away. They drive away very quietly as well. If it's a Tesla, it's not loud when it starts up and uh, takes off. So, yeah. Um, actually, I have a friend who keeps his keys inside of an RFID or sort of like a Faraday cage sort of wallet. But uh, it's a very old ca car. I don't think anyone's going to use that technique against it. But, um, yeah, it's... Uh, Interesting to see this sort of cat and mouse um, because I'm sure car companies are about to, well, actually Tesla already has like a pin option to need to uh, put in a pin before you can leave. So that would sort of be another, uh, is that mouse or is that cat? I'm not sure, but <clears throat> I guess it would be mouse. But uh, yeah, I, I think there's other options for that type of authentication to be more tied to the person as opposed to to the device. Um, because really, all you're authenticating in this case is the key fob and not the, the person having ownership of the key fob. China's yuan has fallen to its low, lowest level compared to the dollar since 2008, and it's believed that this is due to artificial manipulation by the Chinese government as a response to U.S. tariffs. And this really, really upsets the U.S. and uh, especially our current president when this happens. So, um, yeah, more good times there. I've updated my article on red, blue, and purple teams, including content on new team colors like yellow, orange, and green, which I did not make up, 
but um, there's a woman named April Wright who did a Black Hat talk in 2017 about the InfoSec color wheel. And it has, yeah, like all these red, blue, purple, orange, yellow, green. I think there was a white team in the center as well, which was, I think, compliance. But um, basically, it's a play on yellow being in between two colors, orange being in between two colors. And it's uh, it's kind of interesting. I, I built my own graphic based on April's work, which um, I like fairly well. Um, and uh, I, I think it does has a have a useful sort of thing. And it has a, has a use, right, to think about these things. But I don't like the concept of them being teams. I don't think that uh, these are actual teams. I think they're more like functions. Um, for example, the yellow team is builders, right? But you wouldn't, like, as a blue team, go to a bunch of developers and say, hey, guess what? You're now a yellow team, and you need to start thinking about security. Because they're going to be like, well, we're just developers, so we're we're not taking on a new name of yellow team and orange team and green teams the same. I mean, it's like we already have names for what these, these uh, people are doing and they already are on existing teams. That's also the reason I don't like the concept of a blue separate team uh, because it's more of a mindset of blue learning from red, which should happen naturally, which means you shouldn't need a dedicated team to do it. Um, and my analogy for a purple team is like a marriage counselor. <clears throat> where, um, yeah, you might need a function of a marriage counselor for a certain period of time, but hopefully not too long. And you certainly wouldn't want to, you know, promulgate the idea that um, the only way the husband and wife can now speak to each other is when the counselor is present, right? Which you would also wouldn't want to say that the only we reason or way that the blue team can learn from the red team is if the purple team is present. So I think uh, there's a little bit of confusion in the industry about what a purple team is. Um, and I think it's it's better to say it's a purple team exercise or it's better to say it's a purple team function or a purple function or something like that. Like anyone who doesn't have an attacker mindset who's in any kind of IT or development or whatever or management and they want to learn the attacker mindset, that feels a little bit purplish if they are in some way part of defense, right? So I, I'm happy with people saying, um, you know, that, that that's a purplish exercise or a purple function or whatever. Um, that makes sense to me. But all these different colors, orange, yellow, green, all these things being called teams, that I'm not so sure about. Advisories, uh, Nest security cameras, word WordPress plugins, which should surprise exactly nobody, Cisco Unified Computing System Gear, breaches, Massachusetts General Hospital, uh, around 10,000 accounts lost, MoviePass, tens of thousands of accounts lost, and uh, in company news, Ping Identity filed for an IPO, congratulations to Rob, and VMware buys Carbon Black and Pivotal. Technology news. Uh, Cerebras Systems has built a giant computer chip. This thing is like the size of a, I don't know, a basketball or something. It's huge, or maybe not that big. Maybe like a, I don't know, what's smaller than a basketball? It's it's just huge. a small basketball. How about that? It's uh, 1.2 trillion transistors on it for use in ML applications. It's 57 times bigger than NVIDIA's largest chip, has 400,000 cores and 3,000 times the memory. 
And uh, they're not quite, I, I guess the biggest thing, it is real. They can build, you know, some, but uh, the biggest problem seems to be being able to produce lots of them at scale. Ohio State is going heavy into esports. Ford has launched its own esports virtual racing teams, and researchers have used a hydrophilic disc that uses solar power to separate salt from water. And it can currently produce 1.6 to 2.1 gallons of clean water per square meter of surface per day. Um, there's a lot of talk basically around water wars. Uh, there's a bunch of books about that, which I've not yet read, but I've read a bunch of articles about it. Um, and my dad was in the water world for a while. So um, evidently, this is becoming pretty nasty. Like we're having to drill deeper and deeper, especially in like California, basically the Southwest um, and California, um, really getting a lot harder to find water. And we're having to drill deeper. Um, farmers are getting in bad shape. So the pressures, the economic and technological pressures on getting water from the ocean is uh, is really heating up. And that's why I, I sort of track this kind of tech pretty closely. So this looks like a cool development. Using solar power to do it. That's the thing we don't lack in California sun. Uh, human news. Disney Plus is going to allow four simultaneous streams of 4K content for $4.99 a month. I think Disney Plus is going to crush it. That's just my feeling. Um, to the detriment of Netflix, mostly. Um, there's an anti-aging drug that people are excited about that's already in clinical trials with data to be released very soon in 2020. And it works by boosting the immune system, supposedly by like 20%, but we have to wait for the data. Risky mortgages are starting to make a comeback. It's not good news. 39% of straight couples now meet online. And there's going to be a Matrix 4 with the original Neo and Trinity. Ideas, trends, and analysis. I did a major complete update of my Vim configuration for 2019, and that included migrating completely to NeoVim. I read a book by Drew Neal called Modern Vim, and uh, I implemented a whole bunch of stuff in the book, but basically I scrapped my entire Vim config, including my VimRC. Started over with NeoVim, brought over just a couple of things, and uh, got to the really ideal position of knowing every single line in my Vim config and exactly why it's there. I uh, recommented it. I just started all over from scratch, starting with NeoVim, but which, by the way, has a 30% smaller code base, <clears throat> um, way better APIs. It's more performant. You can do all the different uh, plugin implementations asynchronously. And it's got a better dev environment. This is what a bunch of people are saying about it, including Drew Neal. So uh, pretty compelling. So I switched over. I've been thinking about it for a couple of years, but now is uh, seems to be the time. So got a full write-up there, including the link to my VimRC, which it's now called init.vim in uh, NeoVim, but uh, basically the same syntax. And uh, yeah, you can check that out if you are interested in doing something similar. Uh, Andrew Yang is proposing some sort of blockchain-based voting system to bypass the voting lines in the U.S., but this Reddit thread makes a convincing case that it's politics and not technology that's to blame in the U.S. for these long lines. I also don't think we're ready to do voting securely in the U.S., blockchain or not, based on the numerous presentations that I've seen from U.S. experts in the field, especially at Usenix um, Enigma this year, or maybe it was a year before, but 
Yeah, uh, online voting is not ready in the U.S., um, according to everyone that I've heard from. Do upper-middle-class crime victims in San Francisco need to check their privilege? <clears throat> that sounds very political, but it's more philosophy than politics. Um, you, sh you should check it out. It's on the site. wrote that last night. And a reminder, Pinker is wrong about everything being awesome right now. More specifically, everything he said in his excellent and well-researched books was correct, but he lost the plot by not looking closely enough at the lives of real Americans. So based on what I'm reading, and whether it's books or articles or just sort of anecdotal observations uh, throughout the Bay Area, I mean, the working class is struggling, and they're struggling more than they have in a long time. And combine that with, well, we have some current political stuff going on, which I won't go into, but we also have the social media. We also have sort of fake news. We've got all these different problems, and they're compounding. And Pinker says nothing about that. In his last two books that basically said, we're living in the most amazing time and everyone should be happy. And like I said, he, he's brilliant. I love his stuff. If he writes another book tomorrow, I'm reading it tomorrow. Like, I, I will read anything he writes because he's amazing. But just because his book was right doesn't mean he was right about his conclusion. And I think it's really important that we make that distinction. The Amazon fires are revealing that we have no real way to deal with a single dictator destroying something the entire world needs. So you have this head of Brazil, who I'm not terribly familiar with, but um, yeah, I mean, the Amazon is burning down. Um, I just saw something on the news a second ago um, that said they are producing, the Amazon produces 20% of our oxygen. And uh, there's a bunch of fires there. I'm not sure it's the whole thing is burning down like people are saying, but it's definitely severe and extreme and, and it's getting a lot of attention. But here's the crazy thing. What can the world say? What can the U.S. say? What can anyone say to Brazil, who owns the Amazon, right, to, to tell them to stop, right, or to spend more effort to rescue it or whatever? There's also a theory that it's actually some of the fires were on purpose so that they can clear land for whatever reason, um, like for um, to grow actually cattle uh, for a beef industry or a meat industry or whatever. So, but I, either way, whether or not that's true, how can the international community put pressure on someone who owns a resource? And what does that really mean to own a resource when we're talking about something that is really a worldwide, you know, resource as opposed to a country's resource? But that's kind of a slippery situation there as well, because lots of things belong to the world. Arguably, everything belongs to the world and doesn't belong to an individual country. But it just seems more extreme in the case of the Amazon because, you know, there's so many medicines coming out of there. Uh, it's producing so much of our oxygen. So it really does seem like a global situation. But we don't really have the legal or any other sort of mechanism for saying, you know, this is this belongs to the world and you're messing it up. Um, I just think that's fascinating. No, no idea how this is going to play out. I mean, I would assume you would be able to just pay him, um, him or them or whoever these people are who have these opposing financial interests. Ideally, you'd be able to just pay them to not ruin this thing for the entire planet. But um, it's quite sad that we might have to come to that. Discovery, 
Um, all right. So this is the first time I'm doing the um, product and service sort of discovery piece. I haven't reached out to anyone to see um, how much they're willing to pay for this sort of thing. So this doesn't involve any sort of payment, but it, it will look and sound much the same. So the first item here is is a ring I'm wearing right now. It's called Aura or Aura, O-U-R-A. It's a titanium ring that tracks your sleeping quality and patterns. Been using it for about four days so far. Um, since charging it Thursday night, I still had 60-something percent, 68% on it today, which is Sunday. So that's pretty good battery life. Um, and the data is really quality. Um, yeah, the app itself has really nice display of the data, but it also goes into iOS as well, into the health app. And uh, I've been sort of wanting a sleep tracking system for years. Um, I was going to get the Bedit thing, which is like a thing that goes under your sheet, but I wasn't into that. So um, I saw my buddy Mike Dawn had a ring on. I'm like, oh, that's cool. It's a titanium ring. He's like, oh, actually, it's a wearable and it tracks my sleep. So I got one and uh, I'm enjoying it. Uh, Anker PowerPort Atom PD1 USB-C charger. So this is my go-to charger for every USB-C device that I carry, including laptop and iPad. It is a tiny little square. That's the best way to describe it. It's a tiny little square. It charges super fast. It could charge a laptop and an iPad or, or whatever. And uh, yeah, I have like four of these things and it's all used for chargers now. I don't carry around any more big bricks. Uh all right, my new two monitors. So I just replaced my monitors. Super excited about this. I got the LG 27-inch ultra-fine 5K monitors, which were just released by LG. Um, absolutely love them. I have them next to my uh, MacBook Pro, which, of course, has its own, you know, really good LCD uh, retina display. So it's like I have three displays, and actually the monitors are better than the the one built in on the laptop. It's brighter, it's clearer, the text is just crazy good. So I think vision is one of those things like you always upgrade, right, if you have the opportunity. I did LASIK at um, UC Berkeley uh, like a year ago, and that was fantastic and phenomenal and everything I wanted from that. Um, and I would pay whatever, triple it was, I would pay 10 times as much as what I paid for that. And these monitors, I think they're like 1200 or something. Uh, which is not as much as I've paid for other monitors, but um, yeah, absolutely worth it. Um, crisp, clear text on a bright screen. Like it just makes me happy because uh, you could look at it for longer. So monitors are good. Uh, F and birds. This one, I think uh, my buddy Jason tweeted something about this. And I just, I was like, what is he talking about? So I, I tracked it down, took a look. It's a hilarious combination of merchandise, bad language, and bird watching. Somehow I'm finding myself watching birds. Um, my girl is super into it. I got a buddy who's into it. And all I've done so far is seen birds. I haven't actually watched birds. So I don't know when that transition is supposed to happen. But um, yeah, I live right next to the base. So there's a bunch of cool birds over here. Oh, and actually... I live right next to where some baby uh, bald eagles come out and fly around and they have like red under their wings. So anyway, um, this effing birds thing is like, it's, it reminds me of O'Reilly and how they just show like a picture of, of a bird or whatever. And then it'll be something funny on there, like a meme or just a, a snarky comment, possibly with bad language, but in a tasteful way, meaning a funny way. And uh, yeah, it's a bunch of merchandise. So 
That's what that is. Next one here is uh, Discovery Story, What I Learned Trying to Secure Congressional Campaigns. Fantastic story. Um, I know Bob Lord does some stuff for securing the DNC, and this reminded me of him, actually. I'm probably going to text it to him. Uh, data science terminology, um, good little piece here. Machine learning explained in six minutes. This is a must for anyone who's still just like not quite getting it, um, why, why there's all this hype around it. Every productivity thought I've ever had as concisely as possible, and that I is not me. The I is the person who wrote that, um, but really good resource. Uh, when looking for subdomains using Google Dorks, don't forget to include sub subdomains. So asterisk dot asterisk dot etc. Instead of just asterisk dot. Um, and that was something I saw uh, a buddy in the OSINT community uh, broadcast out. Uh, the small penis rule for dealing with libel. <laughs> this is funny. Uh, so basically, if you're going to smear somebody, this is like a legal defense. You say that so-and-so person had access to these files and they did this uh, financial manipulation and blah, blah, blah. And they were, you know, mean to their girlfriend and blah, blah, blah. And they also had a small penis. And the reason to do this is so that the person who you're talking about will never want to claim that as being them. Um, I don't know how accurate or real this is, but it's hilarious. So I put it in here. Uh, page map, a mini map for web pages. This is really cool. The demo site shows this tiny little graphic of like a, um, I don't know, it's like a little teeny representation of what the page looks like when fully rendered. And it just hovers at the top right of the page. I don't know if I'm going to try it, but it seems pretty cool. An arsenal of AWS security tools and DataJack Proxy a cross-platform tool for proxying TLS traffic in native x86 applications by getting access to data before encryption using the Frida API. All right, notes. The uh, Unsupervised Learning Book Club just finished um, our discussion this morning, uh, which it happens every uh, final Sunday, the last Sunday of every um, month uh, at 12 p.m., Pacific. And uh, this month we talked about range, why generalists triumph in a specialized world. And I uh, got a link here to the book and how to become a member. It's just danielmesler.com slash subscribe. But um, what we do, it's a fairly small group. I think we had five or six people on this time. But uh, we do a Zoom and we get on there. We talk about the book for like an hour. And then we talk about uh, side issues for like another half hour or so. And then we... Uh, throw up ideas for the next book and we all start reading the next book and get ready for the final Sunday of the upcoming month. So it was really good conversation today. We had more people join. Um, a lot of the people who were really active in the Slack channel, um, Josh, Mark, Tim, David. Um, yeah, it was, it was a really good conversation today about this book, which we, we all really liked, uh, some more than others, but yeah, we, we really liked it. It also told us that we should probably talk about other books like Super Forecasting, which is uh, one of my favorites. And I think we're going to read, possibly might read, that's my vote anyway, that we read um, Algorithms to Live By, which I've already read, but I want to read it again. So I'm trying to get that to be the book for September. Um, yeah, Recommendations. Open source security software, a project that tracks changes and dependencies 
in FOSS software, free and open source software. Uh, note here, they definitely need a better name. Like it's literally called open source security software and there's no logo. It's a pretty bleak looking website, but it has some really cool tabs. So it describes the project. It shows all the different updates that have been made to it. And it's got a couple of tabs for dependencies and dependence. Um, it didn't look terribly filled in, but I love the template and I love the structure. Um, if they need money, I'm going to send them some and encourage others to do the same. I think it's a really cool project. Aphorisms for the week. The difference between fiction and reality is that fiction has to make sense. The difference between fiction and reality is that fiction has to make sense. Tom Clancy. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unsupervised Learning. And don't forget that the show is both a podcast and a newsletter. So you can get more information about everything you just heard by subscribing to the newsletter or reading the blog posts for each episode. Also keep in mind that I do the show weekly, but if you're not a member, you're currently only getting every other odd-numbered episode. And if you want to get every episode of the podcast and newsletter, you can become a member at danielmiesler.com slash subscribe for less than a latte per month. Being a member will also get you access to the subscriber area of the site, which is the home for all previous member episodes, as well as other types of premium and experimental content. I'll see you next time. Thank you.